It's going to happen. All right. Bibles, Genesis 16. Genesis 16. Uh, we didn't roll the bumper because this technically is not part of Friends. This is just where this needed to go in the schedule. And uh, so I'm going to apologize ahead of time for two like heavy, awkward topics two weeks in a row. But hey, we believe in the Bible around here. Uh, can I get some amens for that? Like we like this book, not just because like it's a cool book, but we believe that this is when we read this word, when we read the words in this book, it's like we're hearing God talk to us. Now, we have to listen to his voice in the proper context. We, we have to go through some interpretive hoops. We can't just take it as a one-for-one one correspondence. But when we interpret this book properly, we are hearing God speak to us. And so it's so important that when we make decisions for our lives, when we make decisions for our world and our nation, we're making them based on what God's wisdom is and not based on our own. We talked about this a little bit last week, talking about the wisdom of God and, and how we have a tendency as humans to, to want to ignore God's wisdom and submit our own in its place. And when that happens, we are becoming gods for ourselves. We're committing the same sin that Adam and Eve committed in the Garden of Eden. We, we become gods of our own making. We like to, to make ourselves as wise as God and reject God's wisdom, submit our own. And we cannot afford to do that. Because when humans are left to their own devices, when humans consult their own wisdom instead of the wisdom of God, they make terrible decisions and they unleash all kinds of evil and pain and suffering on God's good world. Last week we talked about how that pain and evil and suffering is unleashed on our sexuality. When humans make, the, make, make their own decisions, when they reject the wisdom of God and instead choose their own wisdom on sex and sexuality, it unleashes pain, it unleashes suffering, it unleashes terrible, terrible things. And in the same way, there's another area in life when, when, when we reject the wisdom of God and submit to our own wisdom, it unleashes terrible, terrible pain and suffering. So my message title tonight is The Value of Life. The Value of Life. And, and so if you've been in the church for any amount of time, you know that as soon as we use the word life, you know right where we're going. We're, we, we're going to talk about abortion, and we have to talk about abortion because the Bible is not silent, and our culture is not silent either. And so it's important that where our world speaks, that we also speak. That, that we don't let our world define right and wrong for us. We don't let our world define standards for us. We let the Word of God define right and wrong. We let the Word of God define standards for us. And so I'm just going to lay my cards on the table right away. I am going to speak passionately against the sin of abortion. I am passionate about life. I am passionate about little babies. I'm passionate about little kids. I might cry a little bit. Like, I'm passionate about this. There is nothing more valuable than a human life. But, know in advance there are two sides to this story. Because before we can talk about the sin of abortion, there's a much more important topic that we need to talk about. My first point is this. God is compassionate. God is compassionate. Before we can even touch this topic, we have to deconstruct some things. Because Christians have done terribly on this front. We have come up and we've talked about life. We've said we're talking about how God values life. And instead, what Christians have done is they have devalued women in terrible, tragic situations. Christians have, in the name of God and in the name of life, aligned themselves with political positions instead of biblical ones. Yeah. And they have made their politics more important than their faith, more important than the Bible. We have joined forces with Satan thinking that we might somehow use his agenda for our own, and we have failed every time. What do I mean by that? What do I mean by that? Well, we have met the issue of abortion with condemnation and with judgment. And the Bible tells us that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Satan is the one who brings judgment. Satan is the one who brings condemnation. So we cannot afford to talk about this topic and start with condemnation. 
we have to start with God, and God is compassionate. God is compassionate. We have stereotyped women who have had abortions as baby killers. That is not going to get you anywhere. Do you want to have a conversation on this topic? Do you, do you want to advance the cause of life? Do you want to advance the cause of Jesus Christ? You cannot start with the moniker of baby killer. It's just not going to get you anywhere. Do we believe abortion is murder? Yes. But we cannot approach this topic starting with condemnation, starting with vitriol, starting with anger. We have to start where the Bible starts, with the love of God. We've bought into political slogans, become callous to real people with real stories and real pain. This is not the way of Christ. Look right at me. Very, peop very few people who have had an abortion want an abortion. Yeah. That is just truth. Very few women who have abortions wanted to have an abortion. They felt that they had no other choice and it was there no other option. And so we cannot just demonize women made in the image of God. Like, like why, do we, why do we care about murder? Why do we care about abortion? Because humans are made in the image of God. Lives. Precious, unborn lives are made in the image of God. And we cannot desecrate God's image in order to protect another image. Yeah. We can't afford to do this. Can't afford to do this. And so I'm just going to start right here. If you've had an abortion, if you've contemplated an abortion, if you know someone who's had an abortion or contemplated an abortion, you need to hear this. God loves you. Yeah. God loves them. And he does not condemn you. He forgives you. He forgives you. God is compassionate, and he calls you to come find healing in his presence. So we're going to start with this story in Genesis chapter 16, verse 1 through 15. And this is one of the more painful stories in the Bible, one of the more painful stories in the Old Testament. We're just going to read it, talk about it, read a little bit more, talk, and, and, and then move on. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, this will later become Sarah and Abraham. Their names are going to get changed. These are heroes of our faith, founders of what it means to be a Christian starts with these people. These are important people in the story of the Bible. They, Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. This is a pattern throughout the whole Hebrew Bible. When you hear the man listening to the voice of his wife, that's always a sign of he sinned. Now, I'm not making any comments on today. That's just what's happening in this story. Women, you can talk to your husbands and like give them <laughs> direction. And like, I'm, I'm all for that. Not, but in this, in this story, this is the design pattern that's been showing up again and again of, of the man listening to the woman. It showed up in the garden when Adam listened to Eve. It, it, it shows up multiple times when Noah listens to his wife. It shows up again when Abram listens to his wife. This is a bad thing. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian. Hear that. She took Hagar. She took a person. A person just became an object. She took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, gave her, gave, she's an object. This woman, made in the image of God, precious, valuable, is taken and given like a common piece of garbage to Abram, her husband. And he went into Hagar. Again, she's just an object that he goes into. She conceived. When she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Sarai said to Abraham, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave, hear that again, object. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when you saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Do to her. Like this is, she's just so objectified. She's lost all value in this story. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt. What did she do? She dealt harshly with her servant. And she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her, Hagar, 
by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from? And where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress. The angel of the Lord said to her, this is the first time Hagar has been spoken to. Before she was taken, she was given, she was dealt with, but the angel of the Lord spoke to her. He treated her as a person. He said to her, He said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. I don't have time to unpack that verse, but it is not this abusive thing that it sounds like, and we don't even have time to go there. But just know, this isn't like this abusive thing. This is, this is just a, a, a Hebrew phrase. The angel of the Lord also said to her, again, God speaks to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. The angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has, what has he done? He's listened to your affliction. Hagar was given, she was taken, she was dealt, but now God has listened. God has listened to your affliction. He should be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here, I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Be'er Lahiroi, it lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. We need to hear this. Abram and Sarah are not really heroes in this story. And I'm glad the Bible records the mistakes of its subjects. Because uh, when I make mistakes, I, I feel like, man, I'm in good company. Even my heroes made some mistakes. Uh and this is just, this is proof the Bible isn't a made-up story. Like, if you're going to make up a story, you're not going to make a main character who's this bad of a person, right? But the Bible is just honest. It's just honest about, no, this is a person. This is what he did. He was not perfect. He, he lived a crappy life. He did some crappy things. He did some crappy things. The Bible re re records the mistakes of its subjects. This is rape. At the very least, this is sexual abuse. The Bible is not silent on this subject. And, and the Bible looks at that sexual abuse harshly and condemns it harshly. Abram is going to be heavily judged for what happens in this passage. When God sees Hagar, he treats her not as an object, but as a person. Hagar is a slave. She's someone who's unseen in society. You ignore her. You want to pretend she doesn't exist. And God looks at her. He sees her. She says, you are the God who sees me. Finally, after all this time, I have been seen. This is how God looks at women, at people in tragic situations. He sees them. He knows them. He cares for them. He doesn't treat them like objects. He gives them value. This is the first time that God's named in the whole Bible. And who, who names God? An abused Egyptian servant. This, this name Hagar actually isn't a name, it's just a title. The Hebrew word literally just means slave woman. And yet God looks at this woman without a name, without any value, and he gives her value. He gives her decency. He treats her with worth. And if you are in a vulnerable situation, this is how God sees you. Later, Abraham has a son, Isaac, Sarah becomes jealous of Hagar. We don't have time to read this. But, but later on, 
Hagar has, has run away from Sarah. She's out in the wilderness. She has no food. She has no water. She's got this little baby boy, and, and she is hopeless. And so she sets her son underneath a bush and walks away so she can't hear him crying for milk. She cries out to God and says, God, I'm all alone. I'm helpless. I have nothing. And again, in Genesis chapter 21, verse 16, she went, sat down opposite of him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot, for she said, let me not look on the death of the child. She sat opposite to him. She lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, God spoke to Hagar. This is not something God does often in this book. When God speaks, we should pay attention because it's pretty important. And of all the people that God would speak to, God speaks to a poor woman without a name who's been abused, mistreated, sent away, pushed off, cast off. God sees her, God hears her, and God speaks to her. He says, what troubles you, Hagar? God is concerned about her life. God is concerned about her circumstances. God is concerned about her problems. Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. She went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. God hears the cry of vulnerable people, and he responds. God provides for a desperate woman in a desperate situation. He gives her water in the desert. This is miraculous. A well of water where there is no water. God provides for the needs of vulnerable, hurting, hopeless people. God's gracious to Ishmael. He doesn't neglect the vulnerable. He hears his cry. He provides for him. Well, what does God respond to? He responds to the cry. It says, what troubles you, Hagar? The Lord has heard the voice of the boy. God hears the cry of this little infant crying out for water, crying out for milk, crying out for provision and sustenance. And God responds. God does not ignore the voice of hurting, desperate people. He provides. So Christians, we need to respond to vulnerable people like God and not like Abram and Sarai. When we respond to women in desperate situations, when we respond to little kids, we respond to people in hopeless situations, we respond like God. We hear them, we see them, we value them, we respond to them, we provide for them. God cares about vulnerable people. Why? Because God values life. That's my next point. God values life. God does not abandon Hagar and Ishmael. He cares for and provides for them. So this is what we mean. Listen to me. This is what we mean when we say we are for life as Christians. When we say we're pro-life, this is what we mean. Not a pack of diapers and a prayer. This is what we mean. We mean we don't just value life before it's born. We value it for the whole course. Before, before a baby's born, we value that life. I'm going to show you a slideshow in a minute that's going to make you cry. We value that life. I guess I can't promise that. Some of you guys are stone-hearted. It's going to make me tear up. We value life before birth, but, but we value life after birth. We value the life of little babies. We value the life of desperate, hurting moms. We care about every stage of life from birth to death, from the womb to the tomb. We are pro-life. Why? Because Genesis 1:27, God created man in his image. 
In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. It all starts right there. God is the one who gives life value, not you, not me. Humans are made in the image of God, and whatever you do to one human, you've done that to God himself. And so God cares a whole lot about how you treat people, whether it's babies, whether it's fetuses, which is the worst euphemism, because it dehumanizes and depersonalizes something that God calls in his image. God does not call it a fetus. He doesn't call it a clump of cells. He calls it a baby. I'm passionate about this. God gives human life value. The first sin explicitly condemned in the Bible is murder. Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. God hasn't named a single sin yet, but he said, hey, you ain't going to murder no one because man is made in God's image. Humans are made in the image of God, and so what you do to a human, you've done to God. And so if you shed blood by man's hand, will your blood be shed? God doesn't mess around with murder. He don't play around with killing people. All lives have value in the eyes of God. All lives. You turn to Exodus chapter 21, verse 22. This is important to look at. This is how God looks at life. Exodus 21, 22. This is God just giving law for how people are going to live together. When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her child come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined as the woman's husband shall impose on him. He shall pay as the judge determines. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life. God cares about unborn babies. He says, you hurt an unborn baby, you're going to pay life for life. If there's harm, you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. You know where that saying comes from? An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? That comes from right here. God cares about little babies. God cares about unborn children. You mess with them, you're going to pay hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. We'll carry on, because this matters too. When a man strikes the eye of his slave, male or female, and destroys it, he shall let the slave go free because of his eye. If he knocks out the tooth of his slave, male or female, he shall let the slave go free because of his tooth. God don't just care about little unborn babies. God cares about vulnerable, helpless, hurting people in society. Even the slaves matter to God. And you want to compare this to how other people look at, because the, the, you might be like, well, yes, yeah, slavery, though, it's a bad thing. Well, you want to see what other people are saying at this time in history? You want to see how progressive God is? Listen, God is the most progressive God out there. He's also the only God out there, but you know. you know. Let's look at the Code of Hammurabi. I put it in there for you. The Code of Hammurabi, Statutes 198 through 201. It's talking about a, a servant. If he put out the eye of a freedman or break the bone of a freedman, he shall pay one gold mina. Oh, so eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Nah, you, you, can, just, you can just pay money instead. If you put out the eye of a man's slave, break the bone of a man's slave, he shall pay one half of its value. One half of its value. If a man knock out the teeth of his equal, his teeth shall be knocked out. If he knock out the teeth of a freed man, he should pay one third of a gold mina. So if you're free, if you're an equal, then you matter. But if you're a slave, if you're a vulnerable person, we don't care about you. And there ain't even a statute in here about unborn babies. So you want to say that God's backwards. You want to say that God's in the dark. You want to say that God doesn't care. You're just not reading the same Bible I'm reading. You've got to do some better study. There's all sorts of people with a YouTube channel and an opinion, but they're stupid. They ain't reading this book. Just because just you say you have a master's degree, that don't mean nothing. I got half a master's degree. I don't know nothing. 
You can come in there and say, yeah, well, I have a master's degree in theology. Yeah, but you're not reading the book with God. I, I don't have time to go there. I don't have time to go there. So notice this stark difference. God does not discriminate value based on class, based on gender, based on age. God doesn't care if you're old or young, born or not, slave or free, male or female. List goes on. Don't matter to God. He cares about your life. Now we got to go here. We got to go here. My next point. Abortion ends life. Abortion ends life. Dominic, you're going to have to help me out here. I've got some slides I'm going to have you put up, and I'll, I'll just kind of look at you and point you when I want them to go up. Listen, the moment, the moment a human being is conceived in the womb, the moment daddy goes into mommy, we know what goes in means. I don't have to be more explicit than that, right? We, we, can, just, we can go there, right? The moment that happens, a life is born. The moment of conception, a life is born, and that life has value. Listen, the moment that sperm reaches that egg, and I see you giggling, I get it, it's funny, but this is just science. Like, the moment that sperm touches that egg cell, there is new DNA. Brand new person exists in that little womb. This is a kid. This is someone made in God's image. This is someone with value. This is someone with worth. Someone with dignity. Look at this. Don't even look like a human, but that is a human at five weeks old. I'm sorry, 18 days old. 18 days old. And that thing has a heart that's pumping blood. 18 days old. That thing's alive. It's got its own DNA sequence. 21 days, it's going to pump its own blood through a separate closed circulatory system. Has its own blood type. Give me the next one, Dom. This is 42 days. 42 days into a pregnancy. That's less than six weeks. Brain waves are recorded. You can measure this kid's brain. It's got a complete skeleton. It has reflexes. This thing feels pain. 42 weeks old. This thing feels pain. This is eight weeks. It's eight weeks. It's got cute little eyes. All body systems are present. This has organs, lungs, heart, liver, kidneys, eyes, ears, everything. It's all there. Eight weeks old. Give me the next one. This is 11 weeks. It's 11 weeks. There are spontaneous breathing movements. This thing is breathing. Okay, I need enough of that. No more. This thing's breathing. It's not worth joking about. And I get, like, I'm not trying to get on you. But this isn't worth joking about. Because at every point, this thing can get killed. It is legal in the state of California for you to kill this thing. This is not okay. This is alive. It's a human being in God's image. It's got fingernails. It's got fingerprints. A few more weeks, it's going to have genital organs. It's going to have clearly differentiated sexuality. It's going to be able to grasp its own little hands. It's going to be able to swim and kick, turn and do somersaults. 18 weeks, Dom, 18 weeks, this thing has vocal cords and it can cry. Cry out in pain when an abortionist sticks tools into it and scrambles its brain cells to kill it. It can feel that thing and it can cry. 
few more weeks, it's going to be able to survive outside of the room after a premature birth. 21 weeks. It's just a little over four months. Sorry, three months. This is a baby at 25 weeks. 50% of babies born prematurely survive on their own. And abortion is legal at every single one of these stages. Look at that picture. Don't tell me that's a clump of cells. Don't tell me that's not alive. Don't tell me that thing doesn't have value made in the image of God. I don't care what your politics are. I don't care who you vote for. That thing is alive and it's breathing. It has a heartbeat and DNA and fingerprints. And it matters to God. It matters to me and it should matter to you. That thing's alive. That thing's alive. Leave that picture up there, Don. Now, if you watch the YouTube videos I watch, they're going to tell you that what I'm doing right now is emotional manipulation. They're going to tell you that I'm manipulating your feelings to make you feel sympathy for that, something that doesn't even exist, something that's a clump of cells, something that is in even a separate life form. And that is a lie so you can see its picture. Don't tell me that's not a human. Thing's got skin. That thing's got a heartbeat. That thing's got life. That thing can survive on its own outside of its mom's womb. You can't kill that thing. You can't kill that thing. It's a baby. It's not a clump of cells. It's not a fetus. That's a baby. That's a human life. This ain't man emotional manipulation. This is science. This is truth. If you go to Planned Parenthood, they're not going to show you this slideshow. They're going to show you a calendar and ask you for a date and a time. That's wrong. That's murder. That is unconscionable. And it is unacceptable that in a society as progressive as ours, we still let you kill this. We take care of everyone in society. We got, and I'm all for it. I love the social programs. I love the welfare. I love taking care of the poor. I love taking care of the vulnerable. It is good that we take care of Hagar and Ishmael. It's good, it's awesome, it's great, but I cannot fathom. I can't even imagine. Like, how can you say on one hand, we should have all sorts of programs to the poor, we should have all sorts of programs for kids, and yeah, I'm for it. Give it out, give it out, because those are humans made in God's image. Those are little babies and kids that matter. But you're going to kill this thing? I'm sorry. That is not truth. That is ignorance, and that's hiding truth. That is murder, and there's a day of reckoning coming. The irony of a position that claims to be pro-choice. The irony is that they present abortion as the only choice. They give you a calendar and ask you to pick a date and a time. I'm pro-choice. The choice to have sex implies the choice to have a baby. You had a choice. You have a choice. You have a choice to, to have sex and to not have sex. That is your choice. That, I'm, I'm all for a choice, right? I'm all for family planning. It's dumb to have a baby too soon. Right? I love that little thing. I love that precious little thing. Don't have that thing at 18 years old. You're not ready. Don't have that thing when you're not married. You're not ready. Don't have that thing when you don't have a secure job. You're not ready. Wait, because that life matters. And you're doing a disservice to your child if you decide to make a poor decision because you're overcome with lust for your girl, for your man. You can't keep it in your pants. You can't control yourself. And so you do something that might result in that little baby. 
That was a choice you made. You got to live with the consequences of that choice. Listen, there's always a chance of pregnancy. Anytime you have sex, there's a chance of pregnancy. So I'm going to this rumor, living, walking, breathing testimonies that there's always a chance. Even when a doctor says you don't got a chance, there's a chance. There's always a chance of pregnancy. So unless you're ready for that chance, don't have sex. That's the choice that I'm for. That's my pro-choice right there. But if you do, I'm telling you not to. I'm telling you it's dumb. I'm telling you not to do it. But if you do, if you do, you need to be committed to life. You need to be committed to life. Men, here's what this looks like. Because men get left off the hook all this time. All the time we talk about this, we don't talk to the men. But listen, it takes two to tango. We can't address abortion and only talk to all the girls in the room. Guys, look at me. This is for you. This is for you. You make a poor decision. You've made a decision to now stay in the life of that child. You've made a commitment. You've made a commitment to be in the life of that child. Stay present. You have a child. Fatherhood is a wonderful thing even when it's tainted with sin. Listen, God is the redeemer. God doesn't leave us in our sin. He redeems all things. God redeems Hagar. God redeems Abram. God redeems this situation. We, we read that. God gives Ishmael a promise. Ishmael is multiplied. He's given kids. He's given offspring. He becomes strong and mighty. God don't ne neglect and ignore the vulnerable. God brings redemption. God can bring redemption. And your kid is a wonderful gift. Don't neglect that gift. Don't abandon or abdicate your responsibility. So often we end up like the Pharisees when they find the woman caught in adultery, they drag her before Jesus and say, hey, this woman was caught in adultery, stone her. Well, where was the man? Last time I checked, it takes two people to commit adultery. Now, ladies, sometimes I get it that you don't have a choice. And, and I, I got on my high horse and talked about choose not to have sex, but I, I know the world we live in. I know the sin in our world. I know that people do terrible things and heinous things to women. Rape and incest are serious tragedies. And the Bible looks at them as serious tragedies. I just read that story. Whatever situation you find yourself in, God sees you. God knows you. God loves you. God has not forgotten you. God has not abandoned you. God is not blind to your suffering. He hears your voice. He looks at you with love, compassion, grace, tenderness. It hurts. It hurts. And I know women who have gone through this. They've endured terrible tragedy, heinous sin, vicious crimes. And it hurts. It hurts to see that belly get bigger and have the daily reminder of something so awful done to you. But we do not punish the children for the sins of their parents. We do not punish that little baby for something that its daddy did. That daddy deserves to go to prison for a long time. But we don't kill that thing because its daddy did the wrong thing. We don't do it. We don't do it. And that's a commitment that I would invite you and ask you to make. And I know that some of you guys walk through some terrible things and I have no right to stand up here and judge you and, and to yell at you and, and to tell you how to live your life. But I think God does. 
I think the wisdom of God would say that regardless of the pain, that little kid is worth it. That little, you hear this? Hear that? They're worth it. They're worth it. The greatest joy in your life will be the sound of your kid laughing. I'll tell you that. Greatest joy in your life will be the sound of that kid laughing. Greatest sorrow in your life will be the sound of that kid crying. Greatest pain in your life will be when he grows up and goes to college and leaves home. You'll have another great moment of joy every time he comes back through those doors. You're going to get married and stand at an altar. She's going to be wearing white. And you're going to get to be there for every one of those moments. Why? Why would you miss out on all that? Listen, it hurts. It's painful, I know. But the joy is worth it. The joy is worth it. This child is incredibly precious and valuable. They have unlimited potential. How many Elon Musks have we killed in the womb? I don't know. Over 50 million kids. Over 50 million kids since the 70s. It's a countless number. That's 10 holocausts. And we let it happen. We encourage it, and we give people money to do it. That's sick. That's sick. For some reason, you end up pregnant. i got to keep moving. You have a choice. Listen, you have a choice. I am pro-choice, but I'm pro-God's choices. You have choices and options beyond abortion. There are many, many choices in front of you, and I want to make sure you hear them all, because you won't hear them in that clinic. First thing, you got friends and family. You got a mom and a dad who will more likely than not raise that baby for you and help you along the way. If not, you got a grandma and a grandpa who walk beside you. And if not, you got a church family right here. You talk to me, you talk to Titus Jocelyn, you talk to Pastor Gabe, Pastor Dave. We will make sure that you are taken care of every step of the way, every step of that baby's life. You're provided for, you're cared for. We ain't gonna leave you on the street. We ain't gonna kick you out. We ain't gonna push you away. Listen to me, we are committed to rally around you, not to condemn you. Whatever happens, whatever situation you find yourself in, our commitment as a church, our commitment as leaders and pastors is to embrace you and stand beside you and walk with you, not to push you away, not to condemn you, not to hate on you. And if you've had an abortion, our commitment is the same. We want to help you find healing and hope. There is hope for life after abortion. It is not the end of your story does not have to be the tragedy that consumes you. And I know I've spoken harshly and, and intensely, and I mean every single word that I've said. I won't take any of it back. But I mean this just as much, that we love you. We care for you. God loves you. God cares for you. He sees you. He knows you. You have a choice of adoption. There are tons of great adoption agencies that will work with you and help you through every step of your pregnancy, every step of delivery, and, and, and adoption has totally changed since the 60s, right? You don't just give the kid away and never see them again. Like, you can totally work it out with the adoptive parents of how involved you want to be in that kid's life. You have so many options along the way. You got foster care. Like, the system's got some problems. It's got some issues. 
but there are loving moms and dads in the foster care system who, who, who will help care for your kid. If you're like, man, I can't even do this. I, I don't know how. There's people who will help you. There's people who will take care of you. If you are desperate, there's safe surrender. This is the, the last option because we, we think the best option for your baby is to be with its mom, with its dad, if that's a possibility, if, if that makes sense. We think the, that's the best option. But if you have no other option, there are fire stations. There, there, every fire station is a safe surrender location. You got a baby, you don't know what to do with it. You're like, man, I, I just, I can't care for this kid. Fire station, no questions asked. Shoot, our church is a safe surrender spot. We may not have paperwork, but you drop a baby here, we'll make sure it's taken care of. We're not going to let that kid starve or die. In, in Moreno Valley, this just opened up a couple weeks ago. We have the Women's Health Center. I just toured it last week. It is a great center, staffed by women who care and love women at every stage of pregnancy, every stage of abortion, every stage of everything. They care, they love, they have Bible studies, they have resources, and they have real help. Not just a pack of diapers and a prayer. They'll actually walk alongside with you and help you out. If you want their number information, I got business cards. I can get that to you. Um, and I will, I'll try to get them out so you don't have to like come talk to me awkwardly. I'll just make those available if you just need to grab a card. You can grab a card. Um, here's my last point as, as we wrap up in, in the 60 seconds we have left. Listen to me. Christians are holistically pro-life. I'm going to teach you a new word. Holistically. That means holy from birth to death, from womb to tomb, at every stage of life. We are pro-life. We care about life. Now, we are opposed to abortion, but we are not anti-abortion. We are pro-life. And that distinction matters because the word anti-abortion is a political term that, that's meant to say, well, we're not going to settle for anything less than abortion being 100% illegal, and we're not going to have any conversations. We're not going to compromise. We're not going to do anything because we hate abortion. We hate abortionists. We hate women who have abortions. I'm not speaking for every person who fits this label, but in general, it's a political movement that has nothing to do with the Bible. It has everything to do with politics. There's lots of great Christians who are part of that movement, not saying anything wrong against them, but it's a political movement. We're not about politics. We're about truth. We're about God's word. We are pro-life because God doesn't just care about abortion. God does, but he doesn't just care about abortion. He cares about every step of the way. This is not about a political position. This is not about being against something. This is about valuing what God values, and the value of life is infinitely high. So we value the life of the unborn even when it's inconvenient, even when it's difficult, yeah. even when it's hard. We value the life of the unborn. We value the life of the disabled. And I didn't even have time to go this route, but there's a whole separate movement. You want to look at some terrible stuff. You want to see Finland and the, the, the rates of kids born with Down syndrome are astronomically low. Less than 1% of children are born with Down syndrome. You know why? Because they kill 90% of them in the womb. And this is a massive scandal. It's eaten up Finland. I don't have time to go there. That's a tragedy. That's awful. We value the life of the disabled. Listen to me. We value the life of the oppressed. We value the life of the forgotten. We value widows and orphans. Way too often, Christians get up here, they show you the picture of the baby, they tell about the baby, and that's good, but then they don't say, and we care about that baby after it's born, when it's living in poverty, and when mom can't afford diapers, we care about the life of that baby then, and we want to come alongside and help mom then. As Christians, we are convinced that all lives have inherent value regardless of sex. Tell that to China, where they abort tons of little girls every year because they don't like them. We're convinced that all life has inherent value regardless of disability. Tell that to Finland. Tell that to Nazi Germany. The two are no different. 
And I know like making Nazi comparisons and Hitler comparisons is not cool anymore, but listen to me, 10 holocausts in the last 40 years, 10 holocausts, that's how many kids we killed. I think it's an apt comparison. They all felt pain. They all screamed and cried. We are no better. We are no better. You want to look at Hitler? You can judge him all you want. He was a bad guy, terrible dude. We are no better. We're convinced that all life has inherent value regardless of race. You want to look to East Asia, see what people are doing to the Uyghur people. I don't know if I'm saying that right. That might have been really offensive. I don't know. That's the best I could do with that pronunciation. There's terrible genocide going on out there. We're opposed to that too. Life matters from womb to the tomb. And so we reject abortion. We reject euthanasia. That's a helping people die when they're old because we don't want to let them die on their own. We just want to kill them. That's not okay. We reject that. And we reject racism. Like people made in the image of God all along the way. Abortion, racism, euthanasia. We reject all of it. We throw it all out the window. None of that is cool with God. He's opposed to all of it. Through the whole course of all life, all life has value. And this is not political. I'm not trying to jump on a Black Lives Matter and an All Lives Matter bandwagon. I'm not, not going there. I'm just Bible. This is just the word of God. All life has value. You can take the political slogans somewhere else. I won't even discuss it with you. Once you're 18 and out of trademark, then we can maybe sit down and have a conversation if you want to know where I sit and stand on different things. We're not talking at Starbucks about any of that stuff. This is just Bible right now. God cares about all life. The value of life does not come from productivity, does not come from potential, does not come from uselessness, usefulness. And this is the modern life utilitarianism. Uh, unless you have value to me, you're not worth anything to me. And so we can simply kill off unborn babies because we say, well, my life is more important than theirs. My choice matters more than their choice. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Put that baby back up, Dom. We'll end right here, looking at that again. Life should not be a partisan issue. Wherever your convictions guide you politically, we protect that baby. We care about that life. It's a heavy topic. It's a heavy topic. And it's hard for me to just like pray the prayer and send you out the door. But we're, we're out of time. That's what we got to do. Listen to me. God loves you. God sees you. God values you. God cares for you. You have just as much value as that little baby. Regardless of what's happened to you in your life, regardless of the decisions and choices you've made, regardless of where you've ended up, you matter to God. He cares about you. He loves you. He sees you. He hears you. And he sees and hears her. He sees and hears him. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, we respect your word. We respect its authority, even when it's challenging, even when it's difficult for us to hear. We respect and accept what you have to say. We submit ourselves to the word of God and the wisdom of God. We reject our own wisdom. We submit ourselves to yours. 
Lord, I don't know the story of the people in this room, but I pray you'd bring comfort. pray you'd bring love. pray you'd bring healing to every hurting and broken heart. We love you. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 Jesus, Jesus, you are, you are better, better than anything, anything in this world. Love you guys. Can't wait to see you Sunday. If you need to talk, come talk to me. I'm around.